Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Ontario has lifted many COVID-19 restrictions and we'll get Paul and Shona's take on the roundtable. The conflict in Ukraine is not just on the traditional battlefield. Meantime, Russia's economy and its currency are being battered by immense sanctions. We'll tell you about a new survey by the city of Hamilton and why it wants your input. And we introduce you to the Hamilton Tiger Cats' new kicker, who's a former Irish rugby player. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. It is a celebratory day, not only here in Hamilton, but across the province. COVID-19 restrictions, many of them coming to an end, well, as of 12.01 a.m., Double vaccination requirements to go into a restaurant, a bar, a gym, a movie theater, an event space, a casino, a bingo hall, gone. Although some businesses say that they will retain the proof of vaccination system. Not all, but some. And there's also an easing of social gathering limits in this province. So it is a positive day here in Ontario. But should we be just a little bit worried about the easing of restrictions. It's the focus of our Twitter poll question today at AM 900 CHML. With most of these restrictions being lifted today, how are you feeling about it? Right now, 46% say they're a little nervous. 37% say, great, finally. And 17% say they are scared. Dr. Dominic Mertz is the director of the Division of Infectious Disease at McMaster University's Department of Medicine and is our next guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Good morning, Dr. Mertz. Good morning, Greg. I think most people are asking themselves, is now the right time? Does the data show that now is the right time to ease these restrictions? Yeah, I think what we know is that we um, released restrictions one after the other over the last few weeks, and this is the third step of doing so. And so far, things continue to come down. There's maybe some uptick in some of the uh, the waste signal at this point. So when you measuring wastewater, but beyond that, when we are looking at the most important metrics, which is how healthcare is doing, things continue to Im- to improve. We see case numbers to continue to decline in in hospitals, and as such, it, it's absolutely reasonable to take this next step today. As I said, businesses will no longer be required to ask patrons for proof of uh, double vaccination to gain entry into places like gyms or or restaurants. Although, as I said, some businesses are choosing to keep that mandate in place, at least for the time being. Did the proof of vaccination system work as well as it could have in preventing further spread of the virus? If Omicron... uh wasn't here, it would have made much more of a difference. And I think that that's the one piece that we need to be very honest about. With with Omicron, we see, uh, we, we saw a significant drop in terms of by how much we can prevent infection and as such onward transmission. Uh, it can be as low as 10% in double vaxxed more than 25 days out. That's based on the UK data. Or it can be as high as a 70% risk reduction if you have had your third dose very recently. So among those who would have qualified as fully vaccinated in the province, there's there's a difference between um, a very minor reduction in risk when you think about the double vaxxed last summer to still significant if you just had your 
uh, third dose a few weeks back. So it, it's not one homogeneous group, I would say. And um, the risk difference on average, we look at probably double the risk when we look at the Ontario data for the average vaccinated person versus the unvaxxed. So yes, they do have a higher risk of getting infected, but the difference is not the same as it would have been with Delta last summer and fall when the decision was made to go ahead with the certificate process. Talking about COVID-19 restrictions being eased today in the province of Ontario. And our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Dr. Dominic Mertz, a director of the Division of Infectious Disease at McMaster University's Department of Medicine. Masks are still required in Ontario. Other provinces have ditched the mask mandate. However, Premier Doug Ford has suggested that they may be gone sometime this March, suggesting that maybe after March break would be a good time. When will we be able to ditch the masks? Well, obviously, it's it, it's not my decision. I I would expect that they they are really looking into that post March break uh, lifting of mask requirements, uh, just based on on what's being communicated. And again, it probably makes sense to to wait a few weeks again after the the current change to see whether something changes, whether we we will get another uptick in uh, in hospital admissions but if not i would expect the province to be lifting uh, the mask mandates probably after march break based on what we hear and does it make sense for that lifting of a mask mandate to be adopted in the school setting as well um in my mind i, I think it's um once you lift in the community you should should include the schools because there's just no evidence whatsoever that they are any more effective in a school setting than in a grocery store or uh, in a restaurant or an arena. So and, and the other thing is that, that in school you have the same cohort of people together every single day, right? So there's less, less like cross-pollination of an infection between cohorts while um, you may go in one restaurant in one day and then in another bar two days later with different people around you. So the risk of like larger transmission events is actually bigger in my mind in the community than in the school setting. We should remind our listeners that just because the restrictions are being eased today and we're talking about lifting mask mandates, that we should remind everyone that the pandemic isn't over. The virus really doesn't care about what our schedule is. Um, So we should obviously be cautious. There's still going to be infection. There's still going to be transmission. And and to that, what are the chances that, I don't know, come a couple months or maybe more realistically next winter, we'll see another wave of whatever the next variant is and a reintroduction of restrictions? Is that just an inevitability? Yeah, who knows? I I mean, I I think that the one piece that we can say we know for sure is that it will go up at some point again, either with a new variant or even the, the current variant, right? Not everyone has had the infection yet. Not everyone is, has enough immunity. So the infections will continue and there may be another wave or a wavelet. And all, all we, can, we can try, as you know, to, to model when that wave next increase in cases and eventually hospital admissions may occur. But it proves to be very difficult these days because we don't even know how many people would have had an Omicron infection, whether it's somewhere between those 1.5 and 4 million that have been estimated. In my, in my mind, it may have been even more than that. Um, so all we can say for sure, yes, at some point it will go up again. Nobody can tell you at this point when that will be. 
or not with uh, sufficient certainty, I would say, and how significant that increase will be. Uh, nobody can predict whether a new variant will be or will be more successful in, in escape the, uh, the vaccine immunity, the immunity that people now have from the Omicron infection. So very, very hard to predict. But yes, as a general theme, I would say it's much more likely that a major wave would hit in, in winter rather than in summer. But um, again, as, as you said, the, the virus doesn't care. It does its thing. Um, it doesn't matter what we predict or what we think is going to happen. But uh, we, we, have, we will continue to have an eye on that, absolutely. And maybe things will change again next winter. Uh, hopefully not. And hopefully we can continue our path of reopening rather than going back into restrictions. Dr. Mertz, thank you very much for sharing your insights uh, with us this morning and enjoy the rest of your day. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. That is Dr. Dominic Mertz, the Director of the Division of Infectious Disease at McMaster University's Department of Medicine. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Always a good time when I get the chance to chat with Paul and Shona on the Good Morning Hamilton Roundtable. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good to back. It's been a while. Yeah. It's yeah. great to be back. Kind of, sort of. I'm sure it is fabulous to be back, Rick. <laughs> you know, it, I, I was saying, I think it was shown on Alicia earlier this morning, you know, being off for almost all of February, the way the kind of the month worked out, um, I felt like I was retired. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't have anything to do, really. <laughs> uh, although How do you like retirement? Well, it, it's got, you know, it's pluses and, uh, and it's negatives. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you, were you at the point where you had to start of cross out what day it was on the calendar yes. to know that, all right, oh, this is Thursday, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. And I, I hate that feeling because I am really, you know, a button down kind of task, li- you know, list making, task masking individual. Mm-hmm. I, I like getting things done. And when you don't get anything done because you really don't have to do anything, <laughs> it's a it's a weird feeling. Yes, I saw your social media posts. You were doing nothing. <laughs> I was watching TV, retweeting things that I was seeing, uh, and that's about it. That was my vacation. Well, that's good. You need some relaxation. It was good, yes. A nice recharge. Yeah. Back so, to the grind now. Yeah, and that's okay. That's okay, because I like uh, like working with you guys and like working here and being uh, and being in the studio. Um, so our Twitter poll question today at AM900CHML is also the first topic that we're going to tackle today, and that is the easing of COVID-19 restrictions in this province. We know that proof of vaccination is uh, gone, although, you know, some businesses like restaurants are going to keep it in place for the uh, time being, at least, because they want to be extra cautious. Uh, we just had a call-in segment about uh, how uh, you know people in Hamilton are feeling about this. We actually uh, we didn't get Annie on the air. We had a, a phone difficulty, but she was talking to uh, producer Alicia, and she said that um, she's against the easing restrictions because three weeks ago she buried her 30-year-old daughter who got COVID and was against vaccination. So yeah, very sad story, and our condolences certainly to uh, Annie and her family. How are you guys feeling about it? Are you are you excited? Are you nervous? Are you is it a mix of emotions? Shona, you want to start? Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm a little nervous about it, yeah. but but I've been so very cautious throughout this whole thing because of uh, family members. One who's battling two different kinds of cancer. Mm. Uh, you know, my my husband is people who have listened to the show for a while might might remember. Uh, has Crohn's disease, so he's on an autoimmune di- um, a drug. Right. Just started a new medication, in fact. 
And so, you know, I've been really, really cautious because the risks are really high. And rightfully so, yeah. Yeah. Paul, do you have a a range of emotions as well? Are you Uh, more excited than anything? Well, I think I'm I'm more relieved than excited. I wouldn't say I'm excited because... Um, I just don't get all excited about, oh, I get to go to a restaurant. (laughs) Um, But uh, I'm kind of relieved that, that, you know, I am, I'm fully, I'm, I'm boosted. I'm double vaxxed. Everybody, everybody, everybody that I hang around with is double or triple vaxxed. Um, I know that we still are in a pandemic, so I'm not about to start going hugging everybody or, you know, (laughs) or screaming and because I kind of am loud. So I, I'm trying to keep that kind of thing down to a bit of a minimum when I'm around people. Yep. But so I'm aware there's still a pandemic, so I'm not going to go crazy, but I am very relieved that I can sort of be a little more free to go into places and do some things that we like to do. I think for me personally, I'm most excited for the businesses who can finally get back to somewhat normal, you know, yeah, full no restaurants, kidding. movie theaters, all that uh, you know, especially the ones here in Hamilton that have done a yeoman's work in trying the best they can to survive during uh, what has been a tumultuous two-year period. So I think I'm most excited for those business owners to finally get back to uh, close to normal as possible. So um, I, I recall uh, earlier this morning a, a little segment that I did about some weird food concoctions. And uh, one of them was a bologna cake. Which, as you can imagine, is a layered cake with bologna on top of bologna. And in between each bologna level, if you will, is a cheese mixture. And then there's cheese slopped all over the place. One of the, uh, the, the weird food concoctions that I had uh, on the show. The other one was uh, tuna and pear pizza, a deviled lettuce salad, and a ham and bananas hollandaise sauce. I like, I, I like hollandaise. Maybe not a ham and banana hollandaise sauce. <laughs> Which leads me to the question, what's the weirdest or maybe even the grossest thing that you've ever ever eaten Paul Tipple? Well, I'll have to go with gross because, number one, I I like just about anything. I mean, it's really hard for me to say, ooh, I can't stand that. But I'm going to go down to texture on this. Um, I was forced because I lost a bet (laughs) to do two raw eggs. Oh. And I should have done them together. <laughs> you did one at a time. I did one oh, no. at a friggin' time. Yes, <laughs> I should have done them together. Worst thing I have ever had to like put in my mouth and then try to. Sw- it was it was revolting. So when, I know there are people that do it to think it's kind of I don't know whether it's macho or whether yeah. it's a big protein boost for you know the muscle people. It was revolting, and I like. Just about all food, but that was <laughs> tough. Rocks. So I got two yeah. questions for you on this. Number yeah. one, was the second egg worse than the first? The second egg was by far the, the trepidation to actually go about and do it. Um, like we, let's just say I brought a puke bucket oh, beside geez. me because I thought she was going to come up as quickly as it went down. Wow. Uh, and- but I did, I, I muscled through and I did it. Mind you, we I lost a bet because we were drinking mescala at the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my other question. Did that what, what? have anything to do with that? <laughs> to be honest with you, you either ate the worm at the bottle of, bottom of the mescala or an egg. And for some reason at the time, I thought the egg would be better. I was in, the, <laughs> I was in error. <laughs> given, given your mental state at the time, yes. do you recall what the bet was? No, I can't. Uh, no. <laughs> For me, it's, yeah. it's uh, I'm going to go with weird because I think we've had enough of the gross on the mm-hmm. sure, right yeah. now. But it, uh, it was a different take on surf and turf. So it was calamari mm-hmm. with, rattle, with rattlesnake. Oh. 
And <laughs> how was the rattlesnake? Guess. Like chicken? Yes. Wow. <laughs> it, was, it was like, you know, you're eating this thing. It was like, well, are you sure it's not chicken? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Uh, I'll go the, the weird side as well. And that would be for me, caviar. Being on oh. um, my honeymoon, we went on a cruise, and one of the dishes was caviar, and I thought, I got to try this. Like, when in Rome, this is the dish to have. And I thought it was stupendous. Oh. I loved the caviar. Well, okay. it, it it does have a pretty penny attached to it. So yeah, it well, it good. was free for me. It was free. Because wow. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pay for the trip, but yeah, it was glorious. Yeah, caviar, uh, good, eh? Yeah. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Conflict in Ukraine is not just being fought on the battlefield. It's also being fought... Online, on social media, cyber warfare is the uh, new age combat. And here to explain how it works is Carmi Levy, technology analyst and journalist who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Carmi. Good morning, Rick. How does cyber warfare work? What are some of the tools? What are What's some of the weaponry that nations are using? Well, cyber warfare really is a, a new front in any war. If you're going to have a war in this day and age, cyber attacks will be part of that process. You, you almost prosecute online in parallel to uh, war that you're prosecuting in real life with actual bombs and missiles. And so we know that Russia is a major global sponsor, a state-sponsored cyber crime uh, alongside China, North Korea, Iran. Uh, and so we knew full well that, you know, cyber warfare would be a critical component of whatever they were planning to do in Ukraine. And that's exactly what's been playing out. We're seeing, for example, Ukrainian government websites being targeted with what are called distributed denial of service attacks. These are kind of mass swarming type attacks where they uh, basically get overwhelmed with requests, millions of requests from all sorts of, uh, of sources to the point that they literally crash. They just can't handle the load. Um, and this has been going on since before the actual invasion started. It was almost like blind them electronically and then move in militarily. And it's escalated from there. Now we're starting to see moving beyond just distributed denial of service, but we're also seeing malware attacks, new kinds of malware that don't just knock on the door, but they actually break in and they actually try to delete data or encrypt data or cripple the system's ability to do what it was designed to do. Uh, and of course, you know, it's not just a one-sided deal. Uh, Russia is attacking Ukrainian targets and Ukraine uh, cyber warfare experts, as well as volunteers being called on by the governments around the world, uh, are doing exactly the same thing to Russian targets. So it's this big back and, back and forth digital battle. It's uh, been taken down resources on both sides of the issue uh, for the better part of the last, well, this has been going on for months. Obviously, it escalated when the missiles started to fly. Apart from uh, ammunition and lethal and non-lethal weapons from Canada to Ukraine, the Canadian government also offering some, uh, I guess, cyber support to Ukraine. W- what's being done? Um, so they're providing, they've, pro- they've actually sent teams there uh, to consult with Ukrainian government experts on uh, better protecting uh, digital resources as well as um, understanding uh, how the Ukraine government is, in fact, um, returning the favor to Russia, so to speak. So Canada, of course, is a fairly significant player in cybersecurity. The Communications uh, Security Establishment, or CSE, um, is, a, is a, a globally recognized organization in cybersecurity best practice. 
Um, and so we're sharing what we know uh, with Ukraine uh, to ensure that uh, they are not any more exposed than they than they need to be, that they're minimizing what we like to call their risk profile um, and uh, and kind of horizon scanning to understand how the Russian digital attack continues to evolve and how to continue to adapt uh, our protections for that. Of course, Canada now uh, is also, you know, because Canada has provided this digital assistance, is also sending uh, money, is also sharing military assistance with Ukraine. Uh, that makes us more of a target as well. Vladimir Putin has made it abundantly clear that anyone who helps Ukraine um, will, in fact, be digitally targeted. And so uh, Canadian government agencies, organizations, uh, even individuals, uh, they are being warned by the CSC, by the government, uh, and by the Canadian Centre for Cybersecurity that, uh, you know, we need to make sure that we are, we've, we've, we've turned on all of our security uh, features, that we've, uh, you know, that we're, our eyes are wide open, we're watching for anomalies, uh, we're checking our log files, things like that, because um, we are at greater risk now than we were before, because uh, basically Russia now sees us as the enemy. Are general Canadians at risk? Should we be doing something different or something more to protect our files, our computer systems? Yeah, we should. Uh, you know, the risk is up, up for all of us, uh, organizations, government agencies, as well as individuals. And so not to prompt panic, but at the same time, we should always be wary online during times of war or not. Uh, but of course, now I think especially so. And so now's the time to go into your settings and take a look at uh, them to make sure that all of the security features that are available to us are turned on. The most critical one is what's known as dual factor or two factor authentication, 2FA. Uh, if that isn't turned on, turn that on. Um, what that does is that if uh, your password is breached, it almost adds like a second lock on your digital door. So it's an additional layer of protection for your accounts. Turn on things like encryption. If you're using public networks, use a virtual private network or VPN so that uh, all of your traffic is encrypted and can't be intercepted. Um, things like that. Go look at your social profiles. Clean things up. Don't accept friend requests from people that you don't know. Um, and make sure that the people who are following you also are people that you know and trust. If they aren't, block them. Um, now's a good time for a cleanup there, too. That can go a long way toward reducing your individual or personal risk profile. One more minute with uh, technology analyst and journalist Carmi Levy here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. The famous hacker group Anonymous also getting in on the cyber warfare and they're attacking Russia. What do you think about this? I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you know, Anonymous, of course, shades of gray. This is a, an organization that has done, you know, prosecuted some of the most significant cyber attacks in history. Uh, but now they're, you know, basically, uh, you know, they're trying to trying to play the good guy, essentially using their resources, global network of very shadowy hackers uh, to go after Russian targets and also provide resources to those who want to join the digital fight. Um, so it's uh it's, it's an interesting turn. I could have never seen it coming, at least not to this degree. But, you know, I, and I hate to say it because, you know, you don't want to be cheering for black hat hackers. But in this case, um, they are taking down Russian government websites. They are sharing these you know, digital resources on where they've identified additional um, Russian weakness um, and where the next wave should focus on. And so absolutely fascinating turn of events. And, uh, and, and I think it's interesting to see anything that slows the Russian advance digitally. I think we've got to give anonymous chops this time. And, uh, and frankly, you know, for, for those individuals around the world who are joining the site, it's a great resource for them to you know, improve their skills in this area, too. Absolutely. Carmi, always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Rick.
Carmi Levy, technology analyst and journalist. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. As of this morning, Canadian financial institutions are barred from any transactions with the Russian Central Bank. And we are prohibiting any direct or indirect dealings in Russian sovereign debt. That is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announcing more financial sanctions against Russia as uh, the Russian army continues its uh, incursion and invasion of Ukraine. More sanctions have been announced by other nations as well, and it's really having a big impact on Russia's economy and the Russian currency. Here to break it all down and tell us what it means, we welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Marvin Ryder, professor with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Good morning, Marvin. Good morning. So what impact are all these sanctions having on Russia's currency? Well, let's start there. Uh, The Russian currency is called the ruble. Uh, And in our world of business, we talk about two kinds of currencies, hard currencies and soft currencies. Hard currencies withstand economic buffeting, and therefore they're a good place to put your money no matter how good or bad the times are. So something like the British pound, the US dollar, the EU currency, and even for that matter, the Canadian dollar. A soft currency uh, bounces around very quickly and is very turbulent. It's usually not very convertible into other kinds of cash. And the ruble had been battered well before this had come along. As of about last Monday, it was trading at 1.2 cents U.S., 1.2 cents U.S. So if you had a U.S. dollar, you could get about 80 rubles. Well, uh, just yesterday, the value went down to something like 0.8 cents, which meant you could get 117 of them to the dollar. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, if people in Russia want to buy goods made outside the country, it's just gotten a lot more expensive. Do they want to buy those products? Well, Russia doesn't produce its own electronics. So if you need a cell phone, if you want a computer, if you want a video gaming system, just overnight, things became 30 to 40 percent more expensive. Hmm. So really, anyone shopping online for something from Europe or overseas is going to have to pay a lot more. Well, bless their hearts if they could, because the other side of this is not only is the ruble worth less, but we have, uh, we, the Western nations, have blocked something called the SWIFT payment system. And the SWIFT payment system allows people to transfer money between various countries. So if I go on the Internet and I buy something and I need to transfer something from my bank to your bank, SWIFT is the way we do that. Well, now Russia has been barred from using the SWIFT payment system. So even if you wanted to go online and even if you had a boatload of rubles ready to pay for something, it's not clear to me that you'd actually be able to process that transaction. People in Russia are feeling very isolated these days. Is that having a bigger impact on the Russian population or the Russian government and the economy? Well, I'm going to say the population because uh, I I don't think they they did the planning. Uh, The government, and this would be Vladimir Putin and some of the We call them oligarchs, the very rich Russian people. They knew this was coming for several months. And so I have to believe they would have taken various steps to convert currencies, maybe into gold, uh, put them in different places that they might be able to get access to them. But for the ordinary citizen, where this has come as a bit of a surprise, I think they're suffering a lot more. And so in terms of Russia's economy, is it full steam ahead in what they are usually producing or are they being impacted as well? You know, that's hard to answer because um, to the extent they can buy their goods internally, so let's take I'm a flour mill 
and I'm grinding flour, mm-hmm. well, yes, I can take Russian grain, turn it into flour. That shouldn't be a problem. But if I'm a Russian automobile maker, it's going to be harder for me to get the parts, the components that I need to, to move forward. The, the real interesting question on all this is I think Vladimir Putin did a, if you will, a, a, a gamble calculation. I think his thought was, I'll invade Ukraine and I'll do it quickly. So in less than a week, I'll be in Kiev. I'll topple that government. I'll install a person to put in and then I'll deal with the economic fallout. But this will all be over very, very quickly. For lack of a better term, let's call it a seven day war. He's received more resistance than he was expecting. It's taking longer than he's expecting. And therefore, the economic sanctions are having more problems for him as it goes. It's, again, still not clear to me whether his original plan might still work if it turns into a two-week war rather than a one-week war. He may still get out of this okay. But if it bogs down and becomes a two-year war, then I think there's going to be much more hell to pay at home. We're chatting about the latest uh, sanctions against Russia with our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Marvin Ryder, a professor with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. What is this conflict uh, having on inflation? Is it just bound to get worse? Well, I guess, again, the question is who's inflation? So in Russia, uh, just to try to stop the devaluation of the ruble, they raise their prime interest rate. Now, we're going to talk about that tomorrow morning. Canada is going to look at his prime interest rate which is at 0.25%, and it might go to 0.5%, maybe even 0.75% tomorrow. The Russian prime interest rate is now 20%, 20%. There is the potential in Russia for what we call hyperinflation. Hyperinflation is when you start getting double-digit or triple-digit inflation. Now, again, I know we're not happy at 5.1%, but imagine you were facing oh, I don't know, 25% inflation or 40% inflation, how happy would you be? That's the bigger concern there. On our side of the pond, we really just don't do not do that much trade with Russia. So these moves that Canada is making are good, but they aren't going to have much of an impact because we don't do much trading there. And, and can I also just quickly add that I'm a little concerned there was a Security Council resolution. Obviously, Russia voted against it, but three countries abstained, China, India and the United Arab Emirates. Well, wait a minute. If China and India, are you playing ball on these sanctions or are you giving Russia backdoor ways to to get money out of the country or to get money into the country and goods into the country? Sanctions work if and only if they are almost universal. And if there are cracks in the armor and there are other ways for the the Russian people to, or excuse me, the Russian government to, to manipulate the situation because of these friendly countries, it may not have the same impact. So I'm watching those sorts of issues as well. Marvin, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us this morning. Glad to be with you. That is Marvin Ryder, professor with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Some of the things we love to talk about on Good Morning Hamilton are things that happen in Hamilton. Yeah, this is what the show is all about. And there's a new survey that is being conducted by the city of Hamilton that is allowing citizens to have a say in how the city shapes its decisions. This is a really cool idea. Cindy Butch is our next guest on GMH. She is a senior project manager, community engagement with the city of Hamilton. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Rick. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on board. We're going to chat about Engage Hamilton. What is this all about? Well, the Engage Hamilton is the city's uh, relatively new online engagement platform. 
So we launched that in June of 2020. And it's like a one-stop shop for residents to find out about the various projects that the city is asking uh, for their feedback on. Yeah, went on the website earlier this morning and there are different projects that you can go in and express your feedback and contribute your feedback. Why was it important to have this kind of one-stop shop website? Well, it was one of the, uh, the city, we've put together a community of practice. So at the city, we have a number of city staff members that do public engagement all across different departments and divisions. And together, we identified that this was a need, a need to improve public engagement outcomes for both our residents and our staff. And so this is something that actually happened before COVID. We were looking at different platforms and different ways. It's, it's like adding an extra tool uh, to our engagement toolkit, an add-on. We had no idea that uh, COVID-19 was coming. And by the time we were ready to launch in June of 2020, it was really valuable because it enabled us to continue to engage with our residents when our in-person engagement was put on hold. So now that the city has this Engage Hamilton website, are we seeing more people offering their opinions on things? We are. We are. We we saw at least sixty three thousand visitors to our site um, in the past year and a half. So we are getting a lot of feedback. But online engagement, it's not the only tool, and that's why we're doing this survey. We we know online engagement isn't for everyone. It's a great way for people to connect with the community and to share uh, their feedback. But we also want to hear from residents. Um, there are other ways that they want to hear from the city, the other ways that they want to know um, what engagement opportunities are out there, how do we communicate this to them. And, and that's why we have the reimagining public participation uh, campaign going right now and why we have this survey. So tell us more about the survey. How does it work? What do you want to get from people? Really, what we want to know is uh, we want to be able to assess how we communicate and and receive feedback from our residents so that we can really improve our public engagement uh, initiatives and help make our interactions better. It's a very short survey. It's uh, 10 questions. And what we're going to be doing with this feedback is it's going to help us inform the creation of a public engagement policy and a public engagement uh, framework that will ensure that the public engagement that we do at the city of Hamilton is consistent and that it's inclusive, transparent, accountable, equitable, and inclusive. So we really want to know what are those barriers and what are those experience, what experiences have our residents had when participating in city-led public engagement and what can we do to make it better? And how can residents get a hand on this survey? We have it live on Engage Hamilton. So it's engage.hamilton.ca. And we also have paper copies uh, that can be picked up at any of our uh, city municipal service centers. Um, It's at our rec centers and it's at all uh, Hamilton public library branches. Cindy Much is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, a senior project manager, community engagement, City of Hamilton. We're chatting about a new survey that is out by the City of Hamilton and wants to hear from you. Why is it important to hear from community members? I, you know, I've talked about this for, for years and some people in the community are like, ah, City Hall doesn't want to hear from me and my, my opinion doesn't matter. Does it? It does. It absolutely does. Each project is, is, is different and staff um, want to reach out and, and keep our public informed. But at the end of the day, this feedback uh, helps us provide informed uh, information so that those city, so that our city councillors, when they're making decisions, are making informed decisions that's based on the feedback from our residents.
How long is this survey in effect for, and when do you, uh, I guess, relay the results to the community on, on what they want to do? Yes, um, the survey will close on April 3rd, so give us a little time to uh, look at the results, and um, we will be sharing back the results uh, to City Council in June, and we will also be doing a report back to our community around that same time. So we want to pull it together, we really want to explore the feedback, understanding what our residents uh, what their what their experiences have been with our public engagement, how they want to receive or hear about updates from from the city, how they prefer to share their feedback, and what are some of those barriers. So we really want to explore that, and then we want to share that back, and we want to identify ways to make improvement. It's a very important initiative, and Cindy, we thank you for explaining to us why it is so important. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Share your voice, shape our city, learn about important city initiatives, and engage with the community. Join the conversation and have your say. Engage.hamilton.ca is the website to go to. Again, engage.hamilton.ca. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A few days ago, the Hamilton Tiger Cats signed a new kicker, and uh, he's a former rugby player, from Ireland. Ty Leader is his name, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Ty, good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. How's everyone doing? Thanks not, very much for having me. Not too bad. How are you doing? I'm very good. I'm actually I'm in Madrid at the moment. Um, so, I'm yeah, things are pretty good. It's been, it's been a good week for me. Well, give us a tease. How's the weather in Madrid right now? As expected. Sun <laughs> shining. So, yeah, I'm pretty happy. Hashtag spectacular. Um, how did you how did you hear about the Canadian Football League? Um, maybe a year ago when I made the decision to to, ret- to retire from professional rugby, um, I was trading out in San Diego with a lot of kind of NFL and CFL kickers and punters. So I was first introduced uh, to the sport there. Um, John Ryan, I know who played in the NFL in Saskatchewan, he was uh, he was one of the, the punters there. So I think that was the first time they kind of became aware of the league. And then for the last year. I've actually been watching the Tiger Cats uh, all of last season. So it's kind of funny how it's worked out that that's where I'm going to end up now. So, yeah, absolutely thrilled. What drew you to watching the Canadian Football League? Was it just because you were a fan or were you thinking, hey, I can make or extend my career here? Um, yeah, with the intentions of of hopefully getting myself on the field there. So that was very much kind of how um, what, what, I, what I was hoping to achieve. When, when, I, when I made the decision to leave rugby, I, I wanted to try and, you know, play at the highest level in a new sport and obviously the CFL is 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 that so uh, yeah I was watching as a fan but most definitely with an eye towards you know hopefully in the near future I'd be on the pitch myself kind of kicking and punting so yeah that, that that's how I was uh, looking at it. So as you were watching the games last season what did you like about the league? Um, I loved the fact it's the, the, the three down and how unique it is about the the pitch size the field size Coming from rugby, I'm used to a wide open field. So that was definitely something that attracted me. And then also from from a kicking perspective, you kick from it's a little bit wider than the NFL and like college football. So again, coming from rugby, I'm used to kicking from all angles. So the more I watched the, the league, I was like, wow, this is actually it, it's it's there's a bit of synergy there between rugby and then the CFL. So yeah, um yeah, it, it just made a lot of sense. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Ty Leader. He is the newest kicker for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Um, your nickname is also well-suited for Hamilton's football team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
being being Irish and Tig being my name and it's strange it's spelled quite odd I guess so uh, I think yeah I started going by the name Tiger since I've moved to American football so yeah it, it, that was um, a really nice coincidence. And for anyone who hasn't seen the, the spelling on Tig's first name T A D H G pronounced Tig. Um, how translatable is kicking a rugby ball to kicking a CFL football? Is it one and the same, or is it a little bit different? There's, there, there, at first, I thought it would be pretty straightforward, um, oval-shaped ball, but uh, a rugby ball is just bigger. It's bigger, and there's a uh, much bigger sweet spot you know, to connect with. So, Whereas a football, obviously, it's just a little bit smaller, and the fact that um, the, the style of kicking is a little bit different. So at first, I, I was thinking it would be a lot, only is the word easier, but a lot um, closer, um, comparable. But um, thankfully, the last year or so that I've been training, I've been training full time, just waiting for this. And that's why, I'm, as I said, I'm currently in Spain. So I, I moved out here to Spain to get good weather because unfortunately in Ireland, it's probably not too dissimilar to Hamilton. Well, I don't think it's as cold, but uh, I moved out to Spain just to get some better weather. So I've been kicking a lot of the CFL balls and NFL balls, so I'm feeling pretty confident about it now. What are you most looking forward to once you uh, strap on that uniform? Oh, last year just watching. It was fantastic just seeing like the, the, the support from the town or the city. and The stadium looks class. So I think and I've got hundreds of messages from people. It's been amazing over the last five days or so since the, the, the announcement was made. So just getting the opportunity to go out there. I mean, I, I, I first have to, you know, earn my spot that's the first thing and I'm under no illusions as that's going to be challenging because there's already a lot of good guys in the in the building but hopefully if I get that shot just to represent the team and in the city and seeing the fans it just looks class so that definitely kind of gave me um, goosebumps over the last few days the amount of support I got so hope and there's a really good Irish community by the looks of things so that that would be exciting as well to be the first Irishman I believe the first Irishman and one of the few anyway kind of doing it in the CFL. It would be a cool story, Ty. Really appreciate the time. Good luck in your training, and we can't wait to see you uh, in Hamilton in a couple months' time. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Enjoy chatting. Tig Leader, a newest member of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, uh, one of three kickers currently on the roster. You'll uh, recognize Michael Damagala's name and uh, Dante Brown, also a uh, recent signee for the Tiger Cats. Two nationals and Tiger being a global player as a CFL 2.0 uh, has come to realization once again here in Hamilton. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.